people know us as LGBTQ people. We're a part of people's families, their businesses, their communities, their schools. We're a part of every aspect of life. And the more that that's true for everyone, and the more they feel a part of this community, the more we win in the end. You want to talk about the irreparable harm of discrimination. You know, two years later, HB2 was passed in North Carolina. It stayed on the books for a year. They lost like $3.5 billion worth of book business, right? The first thing that happened is they lost All-Star Games. Second thing that happened is PayPal said, we're not moving there. And then it just continued. So the irreparable damage that would have been done through a 1062 or through putting the Mesa ordinance on the ballot is just never lost on us. Everyone can be equally invested in human rights, civil rights, and human dignity. We can do that work together. And there are really no barriers to that if we just trust each other and build those relationships around those values. We're big believers in the word we. This isn't about us versus them. This is about lifting all of us up, giving all of us an opportunity. Again, the reality is when you give LGBTQ people the same opportunities, we have the same protections, we have a better state. We all have a more sustainable future. And so that's the beauty of this. And and again, meeting people where they're at and never discounting anyone. Everyone is welcome to this conversation. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Vitalist Spark Podcast. I'm your host, John Ford, and wow, do we have a conversation for you today. For this moment, at least, it's still June, which is why we're celebrating Pride Month in this episode. You're about to hear from two awesome Arizonans who are our favorite kinds of folks for you to meet. You might think, yeah, sure, here come people who are clearly passionate about something that matters to them. Well, this conversation is much more than that. Listen carefully as we speak with two tireless advocates who have invested years of effort to produce the proverbial overnight success. Listen closely to this dialogue, and we'd wager that you'll discover two people who connect, invest, collaborate, and advocate because they care about all of us together. They care about our entire state's health and well-being, and they model the behaviors they seek. So let's get to it. Let's celebrate Pride Month. It's time to talk about the power of inclusion over exclusion non-discrimination ordinances over ballot measures, movements over marginalization, mega-tents over megaphones, and much more as of June 28, 2021. We have two fabulous people with us today. First off, Angela Huey. She is the founder and president of One Community. Angela, welcome. How are you? I'm good. So happy to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. So darn glad to have you. Also, a good friend and a great leader in the state of Arizona, Mr. Michael Soto. He is executive director from Equality Arizona. Michael, welcome back. Thank you, John. I'm so happy to be here with you both today. So, Michael, I'm going to start with you because uh, you were with us the last time we we discussed LGBTQ issues. That was during pretty much the height of the pandemic. We are now, geez, I don't know, nine months since that last episode, and it's the end of Pride Month. Where do we start when we talk about progress and challenges as it relates to equality in Arizona? Oh, gosh, that's a big question. I think we start with what's happened since the 2020 election. The 
2021 policy season, I think it was something that no one was prepared for. Across the country, hundreds of bills dropped really unexpectedly, and it was a coordinated attack, really, on the LGBTQ community. A lot of it actually inspired by and created by the Alliance Defending Freedom, which is a recognized LGBTQ hate group that's headquartered in Scottsdale, Arizona. Anti-LGBTQ youth bills from sex education bills that basically sought to erase LGBTQ people, not just from sex education, but from the entire school day, to anti-trans youth bills focused on trans athletes and trans medical bans. Just a wide range of policy attacks really seeking to erase LGBTQ people from public life. But the flip side of that is that you have amazing grassroots organizations and amazing statewide organizations like One Community and Equality Arizona working here in Arizona with LGBTQ people and our allies in every walk of life possible to work against those bills. Because there may be these small factions of people that are looking to harm LGBTQ people and to erase us from public life to take our rights away. But the vast majority of Arizonans and Americans don't agree with them. And so we have actually, I found this spring really empowering because what I've seen is as we come out of the pandemic, people with a new sort of passion for community, a new passion for inclusion and unity and acceptance after such a difficult year and a half, after such a hard time for absolutely everyone, what I'm seeing is just a passion for other people and for making Arizona and this country a more inclusive place that lives up to our values. Angela, it has been super challenging, but there's also been some pretty super results. Talk about some of the key things that have happened for you and your organization and for the LGBTQ community in general. Well, you know, to Michael's point, just so grateful to be collaborating with Equality Arizona and LGBTQ inclusive organizations. And I think that collaborative spirit and that sense of community and a broader Arizona community that we're all Arizonans was really helpful in beating back the difficult pieces that were definitely introduced to do harm, not just LGBTQ Arizonans, but definitely would have done harm to our state and the sustainability of our state. So when you do harm to the LGBTQ community, you do harm to our state as well. Those bills, when they are passed and they don't just harm LGBTQ people, they harm all Arizonans in our future. And so while defense was being played at the Capitol, really led by great leadership of Michael and Equality, the educational seeds that we had planted seven years ago in municipalities really began to sprout. And so on March 1st, after seven years of just education and really coalition building, led by Mayor John Giles and some really remarkable, courageous leaders on the Mesa City Council, the, the city of Mesa passed an LGBTQ inclusive ordinance. And it was tearful and joyous. It was uh, several hours of testimony. We were just absolutely overjoyed, and we had three days of just saying, this is where we're going, this is where our state's going, 72 hours after the after the 5-2 passage of the municipal ordinance. A group that is supported by the Center for Arizona Policy, which is led by Ms. Herod, pulled paperwork in an attempt to put the Mesa ordinance on the ballot in 2022. And so we worked collaboratively with our good friends and partners at Equality Arizona and with business leaders and faith leaders and citizens 
Farms in the city of Mesa. And we created our first ever pack called Mesa Loves Everyone. And we knew that we needed to educate people about what municipal ordinances do. We needed to myth bust with some of the really nasty and untrue things that were being said by people who were collecting signatures. And we knew that every signature that was introduced needed to be verified. And so while that was going on, also seven years in the making, the great work by the mayor and Scottsdale City Council, 7-0 vote on April 20th, which coincidentally was the same day that Governor Ducey vetoed SB 1456, which to Michael's point would have erased LGBTQ people out of our schools. It was just such a remarkable day. And we're so grateful to business leaders that had those one-on-one conversations to really help get that outcome. And then the city of Glendale heard the clarion call seven years into that educational process too. We have a great partnership with Robert Hyde and the Glendale Chamber of Commerce. He created an inclusion committee and just reached out to the mayor and council saying, we wanna educate you, we wanna educate folks in the city of Glendale about why we should adopt an LGBTQ inclusive municipal ordinance as well. And so three municipal ordinances in 90 days, all of them seven years in the making, that's the 90 days piece. And then also that Mesa Loves Everyone was successful. And so the Mesa ordinance is not going on the ballot. In fact, the Mesa LGBTQ inclusive ordinance will be official tomorrow. So Mesa will be an LGBTQ inclusive city on June 29th, which is such a great way to end Pride Month. And when Mayor Wires in Glendale picked up the really the, the Mesa ordinance, they felt led by the Mesa ordinance. He said the biggest city in the East Valley, the biggest city in the West Valley now have the same ordinance that is welcoming to all people. I encourage other West Valley cities to do the same. And the city of Tullison did the same and just voted unanimously for their own LGBTQ inclusive ordinance as well. But they all look exactly the same. So we've got great momentum. It's an exciting time. A couple of key questions here. First of all, you said it right off the bat, and I'm interested to hear from both of you on this question. You talked about it's a seven-year overnight success. What's the magic ingredient of an overnight success? I think it's patience and it's persistence and it's education. We were really fortunate in 2014 with 1062, and one community had been educating the business community at that time five years. And so I like to say we were overnight successes five years in the making. And we had this unity pledge too. So that pledge is now the the largest equality pledge of its kind, regional pledge in the nation. And that's a great conversation starter. Uh, You've had 3,300 businesses of all shapes and sizes and member-based organizations take the pledge saying that they value an LGBTQ inclusive Arizona. And so I think we're patient, we're persistent, We'll have a cup of coffee or an iced tea or a glass of water with absolutely anyone. We just think that this is limitless. So I think it's hard work and dedication and a lot of patience paying off. For me, I think it's the relationship building piece, like Angela was talking about. It's also from an LGBTQ movement perspective, it's challenging our own assumptions and realizing that it's not just folks who are LGBTQ or active in the community or active allies that we see every day, grassroots leaders who are a part of our community. It's business leaders, it's faith leaders, it's Republicans as much as it's Democrats, it's independents, it's people from literally every single walk of life are and can be a part of our community if we just open that door and if we just build that relationship. That's been the greatest lesson, I think, for me in doing this work <laughs> and and really seeing that pay off and create that overnight success. It's that long-term yeah. building with people 
creating common ground and really creating just a big community that's working for the same things and working for a better Arizona. We were at a celebration on Saturday. I came home Saturday night. My wife and I were talking about this on Sunday when we were taking a hike. And I said, myself and Michael and one other person are the only LGBTQ people in the room. And there's like 30, 35 people there that are just celebrating and just so overjoyed. And they're citizens of Mesa from a variety of backgrounds, all of whom who just put their heart into this and said, we know that this city needs to be inclusive. It was so inspiring and just such a remarkable celebration. But to Michael's point, we were all Arizonans on that night. And we were all from the city of Mesa on that night. And everybody was a member of our broader LGBTQ inclusive community. And it's just beautiful. To that point, a couple of things. Number one, when you see a moment like that, where there's only a few LGBTQ people in the room and everybody else isn't, and they're just as thrilled as anybody else, doesn't it feel like that's the real task to transform people from fear to celebration of inclusion. And if that is the task, how do you make that happen more broadly? That is the task. I think Angela and I this spring have either been in Zoom meetings and Zoom rooms or after being vaccinated in person at a few events where that's been the case, where we've been the LGBTQ people in the room where there's just a small handful of us. And the rest are folks that they're people who are mom and dads of large LDS family that have LGBTQ children or business leaders in the community who just know that this is the right thing to do for their company, for their employees and for their customers and for our state or amazing politicians like Mayor Giles, who just felt called to make his community one that is truly inclusive for everyone because it's the right thing to do and because it's the prosperous thing to do. That's the the future to whether that's for our communities to feel inclusive and welcoming to everyone or to have that competitive advantage as a city or for both of them. They're both the reason. I've been overwhelmed multiple times just being in these rooms, finding myself getting teary, being like, wow, this is a room where these are just people. These are these are my parents. These are folks that were my neighbors growing up. These are just folks who believe in a, a fully equal society for everyone, where everyone has the same opportunity. It's been a once in a lifetime experience for me where I've been like, this is the work and this is a beautiful thing to be a part of. Angela, true or false? You expected yeah. Mesa to be the first major city in Arizona to pass such an ordinance. They're not the first. The first major city is Tucson in 99 and then, and then Phoenix. We've had a dry spell since 2015. Did I expect Mesa to get this done? True. Absolutely. 150%. Absolutely. You have a courageous leader and friend and ally in, in Mayor John Giles who leads with his heart. I met with him when he had become mayor. He's about 10 days in and this was his top priority and it's never stopped being his top priority. And the reality is we just needed to educate more folks. We needed to keep building that business and faith coalition. We've just been meeting people where they're at, having a cup of coffee with anyone. There's no preconceived notions, but did we think that Mesa would get this done? Absolutely, we did. Well, I think that meeting people where they're at is the important part. Like to be a part of this work, there's no purity test. There's no perfect standard. Everyone can be a part of this work with who they are today, and what they bring to the work is important. Their perspective, their life experience, everything. We have to value people for what they bring, all people to this work. And that's been the beauty of it for me is that doing this work with one community is truly that valuing every single person for what they bring to this work and coming together as that big, beautiful community to get this amazing stuff done. 
Yeah. We're big believers in the word we. This isn't about us versus them. This is about lifting all of us up, giving all of us an opportunity. Again, the reality is when you give LGBTQ people the same opportunities, we have the same protections, we have a better state. We all have a more sustainable future. And so that's the beauty of this. And and again, meeting people where they're at and never discounting anyone. Everyone is welcome to this conversation. And that's why it's, I think, such a beautiful, transformative experience for both of us in our organizations. And really, I think for the state of Arizona, yeah, we've done a ton of crying this year. And remarkably, it's been overwhelmingly happy tears, which is pretty cool. It is pretty cool. Let's peel back the onion layers here a little bit more on what an overnight success is. Let's talk about, Angela, the Unity Pledge, yeah. inclusive business certification, and the work that one community has been doing to get to this point. Sure. I love that question. So we told the story of Karen Bailey and Nelda Majors, who at that time had been together for a little over 50 years in 2012. And when we told their story, Karen said something that I just could not walk away from. It just like sat there with me and and was not going away. And she said, she said when she and Nelda got together in rural Texas uh, in the mid fifties, when they were 18 and 19 years old, that it was so dangerous being gay. She said, you could lose your life. You could lose your family. And she said, you could lose your job simply for who you were and who you loved. And there we were in 2012 and we're telling their just remarkable love story. And the point really is that has not changed. We can still be fired in the state of Arizona simply for who we are and who we love. And when we talked about that at our Spotlight on Success Local Heroes Awards, people thought we were wrong. And so we did research. There was polling that was done. It was something like 70% of Arizonans mistakenly believed that LGBTQ people had the same protections as everyone else in the state. And I'm just a big believer in bringing people together. I'm a big believer that when we celebrate people for doing good work and we lean in and give folks the opportunity actually to come into something, it's just a much better experience. And so we created the Unity Pledge and we launched it with Mayor Stanton in February of 2013 with the city of Phoenix taking the pledge. And we had over a hundred businesses of all shapes and sizes take the pledge on that first day. And it was anyone from our great friends and partners at Local First Arizona to PetSmart, who was corporately headquartered in the state. And we just went on our way and it was just this great way to have coffee. And again, give businesses and organizations a safe interactive space to ask questions, to talk about why do Doing what's right and being inclusive in the workplace was just like really smart and good and good for the state. And then 2014, SB 1062 came. We were five years old at that time. We'd been educating the business community like a cup of coffee at a time and, and through pledge and other business to business and business consumer events that we had. And all of those businesses that took the pledge took it seriously. And you just saw the business community come out very voraciously against SB 1062. And that saved our state. You want to talk about the irreparable harm of discrimination. You know, two years later, HB2 was passed in North Carolina. It stayed on the books for a year. They lost like $3.5 billion worth of book business, right? The first thing that happened is they lost All-Star Games. Second thing that happened is PayPal said, we're not moving there. And then it just continued. So the irreparable damage that would have been done through a 1062 or through putting the Mesa ordinance on the ballot is just never lost on us. And so we're just always educating folks. And one of the ways we do that is we've created one community institute. We kind of took a look at the journey that we go on with our partners, right? The businesses that we work with and how it might start with taking the pledge. Sometimes it takes them a couple of years to take the pledge because years ago when we started this, maybe they didn't have LGBTQ inclusive policies in place. So get those policies in place. Then let's take the pledge and celebrate and be 
inclusive and keep going on your journey. And what we noticed is within a year or two after taking the pledge, we would have businesses speaking on behalf of our community saying, this is what's right. We have absolutely evolved on this. And, and we know that this is right for our state too. And so we kind of took the great things that we learned from just our authentic journey with our partners and created the One Community Institute. And we just meet people where they're at and it's a fantastic certification. So we're having a lot of fun. Angela, you just said you're having a lot of fun. Yours and Michael's energy is as infectious as this cause is right. So what do you say to our listeners right now who are motivated to do something to join you? If you are a faith-based organization and you support an LGBTQ inclusive ordinance, you need to sign on to our open faith letter. And if you are a business that supports an LGBTQ inclusive ordinance, we would love it if you either signed the unity pledge or you signed on to the open business letter. And if you just sign on to the business letter, we're going to we'll sweep back around and ask you to sign a pledge. If you signed a pledge, we'll be like, hey, have you considered signing on to our open business letter? This is a collaborative effort with One Community in Equality, Arizona. These are our coalitions. They are out front. We are delighted to have 100 faith leaders from organizations around the state that support an LGBTQ inclusive Arizona, more than 150 businesses of all shapes and sizes and member-based organizations have signed on to our open letter. And it matters. That signature matters. So we invite everyone to join us. It really does. And a quick shout out to the Unity Pledge. It is the largest pledge of its kind in the country. And that is all one community's amazing many years of work in Arizona. And so it's such a great way to begin this journey of becoming an advocate for full inclusion for everyone in Arizona. And please follow One Community and Equality Arizona on social media. Sign up for our email list so that you can be a part of the work going forward because there's going to be a lot of opportunities late summer and fall to get involved, to do some learning with us around policy work, around the election, around so much. Um, And we want you to get involved because this work needs every Arizonan who supports inclusion for LGBTQ people. Angela, count out loud how many times you've had a negative response to any of these efforts. Go ahead. Zero, right? No, no, I mean, when we lifted up local Chick-fil-A owners for signing the pledge, I got death threats. Remarkably, they were from LGBTQ people. I shared with Michael and our team just a few weeks ago a not-so-nice message that someone left for me. So there's trepidation sometimes. It's not always the easiest thing to do, but overwhelmingly, people come to this, and it's wonderful. And the folks that think that LGBTQ people don't deserve equal protections, their voices are just not as dominant as they were a decade ago or 40 years ago or 30 years ago when equality started doing this work. So the more we educate people, we'll just look at marriage equality. 70% of Americans believe in marriage equality. And my point is like my marriage is really about myself and my wife and the fact that we have protections for our family. It's just the same protections. So Michael, While Angela's doing all this work, Equality Arizona is trucking along as well. Talk about EA's town halls. Talk about all the work that you've been doing to get to this point. Our mission for Equality Arizona really complements the amazing work that one community is doing. They're building all of these stakeholders in all of these different communities. And our mission is to build the political efficacy, which is the political knowledge and effectiveness or the civic engagement of the greater LGBTQ community. And so we really set out to, about five years ago to really take that on and to 
use every opportunity we could from town halls on issues like conversion therapy, non-discrimination, even voting rights to educate folks about civics. We actually have a whole civics 101, 102 and advanced civics course that we offer and that we bring different communities through so that folks have just the base knowledge to be confident in interacting with government, to feel like to be confident testifying in front of a city council or testifying in front of a legislative committee to be confident voting. Every election we do these ballot walkthrough events and we basically, when we did them in person or during the pandemic, when we did them on Zoom, we would go top to bottom with the ballot starting at the very first office all the way through the propositions, the judges, the constables, all of these different positions. And we just explain what the office is. And we talk about the different candidates that we're running, giving people options. Say, okay, so this is who's running for Maricopa County Sheriff. Talk about Sheriff Benzone and his record. And we'd also share about the other candidate and say, you know, you have a choice to make that should be based on your personal beliefs and what you want Arizona to be. And we can share with you results of surveys and share with you voting records and track records. But at the end of the day, as a voter and as a citizen, it's up to you to participate to your fullest extent possible using all of the knowledge that you've gained through our town halls, through our trainings, through these types of voter education events. And we hope that we're filling that need for the greater LGBTQ community and hopefully doing a service to Arizona by helping folks participate more fully in our government, because that's what makes a representative democracy work. Is And I'm, I'm a big nerd about this, and I'll get on my soapbox. And I really believe that to be a healthy state and a healthy country Every single American in Arizona has to feel like they have that full enfranchisement, right? That full opportunity to participate in our government, whether that's voting, going to a school board meeting and sharing their thoughts about curriculum and what children are learning, or even running for office. And so we're here to help with every single one of those stages and help people relate to government, whether it's at the most local level or the federal level. And so we're super passionate about it. You see from us working with partners like One Community, One in 10, working with national partners sometimes to do things like policy briefings. Together, we started this statewide working group this January, where we got all of the LGBTQ organizations and groups together and just said, hey, let's share what we're all doing on policy so that everybody is on the same page. Angela headed our non-discrimination work group and Nate Roten from 1 in 10 headed our conversion therapy work group. We had all of these working groups on different issues where the experts would share what they were doing, what they were working for, and what the best practices were so that other communities and other groups could be a part of that work. And, you know, I'll tell you, that was a game changer. Like that was so wonderful. And I think not only a game changer for getting the work done, for beating bad bills, but also for people feeling bought into the work and feeling like they could show up and support it. I mean, we saw this in Mesa. We saw so many folks coming out to testify because they were able through these groups to understand what was happening, what they would be testifying about and to get prepared. So like, listen to a, a quick briefing of the ordinance. This is what the ordinance does. This is why it's good for Mesa. This is how it would make Mesa better city for LGBTQ inclusion. And people were able then to relate that to their personal experience. And so that's our whole purpose is just to help people engage with government more effectively and to fully participate because that's what our civil rights and our rights as citizens are all about. 
seems like the groups that align against LGBTQ rights do so through power consolidation and megaphone use. And it seems like the folks who are interested in being for LGBTQ rights, they do it through collaboration. They do it through education. They do it through information and they do it through relationship building. Which would you say is more powerful? Hands down the collaboration, the relationship building, the building of community. That's a longer term perspective. And it's something that lasts throughout the decades. We, we do policy change, but we also do culture change. You can see policy shifting one way or the other, depending on who's elected to an office, like a president is a good example with executive orders. But if you shift the culture, and I think we've all done that, we've all been a part of that work in terms of something like marriage equality, that more than 70% of Americans are fully in support of marriage equality, no matter their political affiliation, from liberals to conservatives to moderates, like that says something about the evolution of this country in just six years. (laughs) Like that's a big change. And so that collaboration piece at the end of the day, while those megaphones might be loud of those very, very small, really factions of people that are working very loudly against LGBTQ equality, they're not representative of the majority of people in this state or in this country. And it won't outlast the collaboration, the community building People know us as LGBTQ people. We're a part of people's families, their businesses, their communities, their schools. We're a part of every aspect of life. And the more that that's true for everyone and the more they feel a part of this community, the more we win in the end. Like The society is transforming and there's nothing that those megaphones can do about it because LGBTQ people are just Arizonans. We're just Americans. We're your sons and daughters, your brothers and sisters, your friends. And at the end of the day, that's going to win. That having been said, power still is held. Yes. And we're going to have a response to what we've seen, the progress that's been made. There are more elections coming up. There are more legislative sessions coming up. It should be noted, this recording is being done on the day that the Supreme Court refused to hear the Gavin Grimm appeal, which is fantastic. But that's liable to stir up more power struggles, is it not? And if so, Mm -hmm. what should people be thinking about as we go forward? It's a great question. I mean, there's always backlash. For every step forward, there are going to be people pushing back on that progress. But I think the most important lesson, especially because we're starting to prepare for 2022 and the next, the midterm elections, the next electoral season, and the next legislative season, if this one ever ends, um, (laughs) it's still going on today. (laughs) What's important, I think, for Arizonans to keep in mind is to not vote for people because they have an R or a D behind their name. Vote for people who represent your values as a voter. Vote for people who will create the Arizona from a policy perspective that you want to live in, that your children want to live in, and your grandchildren want to live in. That's an Arizona that is more inclusive, that is more prosperous because of that inclusivity. And it's a place where everyone's human dignity and human rights are valued and supported. And so you can vote with your wallet and vote with your ballot. Do both (laughs) as much as you can and make sure that the people that you are electing to represent you will truly represent your values. It was five years ago, I believe, that the Houston Equal Rights Ordinance was overturned. And so that gave a playbook to anti-LGBTQ groups to say, okay, if a municipal ordinance is passed and we're going to pull the paperwork, 
we're going to collect the signatures in that 30 days and we're going to put this on the ballot and it's going to be very costly and this is going to be in the news and it's going to divide communities. And I remember at the study session, the opposition group to the Mesa ordinance said, don't forget what happened in Houston. That could likely happen in the city of Mesa. And the difference in that five or six years is they did pull the paperwork, pretty voracious in their attempt to collect signatures, to put the Mesa's LGBTQ inclusive ordinance on the ballot. But we've been educating and working with elected officials and faith leaders and business leaders and the citizens in Mesa and in municipalities around the state in a really collaborative way for seven years. And they were unsuccessful. And I think that there's a ripple effect. There was a ripple effect when the Houston ordinance was repealed. It kind of, it really said municipal ordinances are not the way to go because this could really cause harm if we work really hard and get something passed. And then it's repealed, we could really damage the movement forward for decades. I think that the same holds true when there is an attempted repeal, when there is an attempt to put the Mesa ordinance on the ballot and they fail and the Mesa ordinance is in place. And if you look at, you want to see what that ripple effect is, you have Scottsdale, you have Glendale, and now you have the city of Tolleson and the Glendale and Tolleson ordinance look the same as the Mesa ordinance. So we always say no one wants to be first, everyone wants to be second. Now we're saying or third or fourth or perhaps fifth. There is a ripple effect of inclusion, a wave of inclusion that is just moving throughout our big, bold, beautiful state. And it is, uh, it's just remarkable. It's remarkable to, to be in it. It's remarkable to also, I think, watch the movement that it has become. And our job in so many ways, both from an equality in one community standpoint, is to give these leaders the opportunity to lead, to stand beside John Giles and Vice Mayor Duff and the city council members that were courageous and said, we are voting for this. This is the Mesa that we want. It is the Mesa that we believe we are, and we will not stand down. We won't be intimidated. Council member Julie Spilsbury, I believe, received over a thousand emails about her Mesa council vote for the ordinance, and the vast majority of them were not very kind. Arizona is changing. We're proud to be a part of it and proud to stand beside these really, really remarkable leaders. And I think this is a tidal wave. I, I think I'd say I'd say ride the wave of inclusion in this great state is what I would say. Amidst the celebration, I'm going to roll it back one more time. Okay. okay. Yep. Angela, I'm going to start with you. There are stereotypes out there all over the place. There are stereotypes about LGBTQ people. There are also stereotypes about dominant culture. Tell me why. No one should be surprised at this point that Equality Arizona, one community, and the LDS Church could come together to put together a document that fully supports LGBTQ equality in civil life. We met organizationally. We, we met and had no preconceived notions. We were open to the conversation. We wanted the conversation. We leaned into the conversation. And one of the leaders that we worked really closely with said, you didn't even know us and you trusted us. Both from a Equality Arizona and a one community standpoint, just who we are as people, we're kind and we lead with our hearts and I trust you and until or unless you give me a reason not to. And that was the mindset that we went in with. And I'm also a big believer that you just don't predetermine what the outcome is because when you don't predetermine, you don't limit. And we did not limit what these conversations could produce collaboratively. We just didn't limit it. and. That letter, I think, was not just transformative in the city of Mesa. It is transformative in our great state. 
I believe it helped transform our nation. I really, truly do. And we have new friends and they have new friends and we're just meeting each other where we're at. And we're just, and we're just like sponges. We're all just learning about one another and our beliefs and our cultures. And we have more in common than we don't. Michael, the whole story, just it brings tears to my eyes. And I think it's because it gives you faith in other human beings and it just feels right. It's the way things should be as opposed to the way it has been. Mm-hmm. Talk about your experience of putting this letter together and how you move forward in the world based on the success of it. I mean, for me, it was very personal in lots of ways, right? So I grew up in Mesa. I am an out and proud trans queer man. I also grew up a Latter-day Saint. I'm still a member of the LDS church. I'm not active in the church anymore. But for me, I, I feel just as much love and at home in the LGBTQ community as I do in the LDS community. I love both. Both have shaped me as a human being in very critical ways that, that I I'm so grateful for, right? I would not be the person that I am. I would not have the beautiful, amazing life that I do without both of those communities. And so for me, it felt like such a natural combination because these are two communities that deeply believe in the value of human beings, in the value of human dignity, in the fact that the health of our society is actively engaged people in our communities and our government in our churches, in whatever aspect of life. And so for me, it it felt like the realization of that in a really beautiful way that challenged preconceived notions, because there are these ideas out there that LGBTQ people can't be people of faith, and that people of faith can't love and support LGBTQ people um, or be LGBTQ people. And, And the truth is, is that just like every other community, the LGBTQ community intersects with people of faith because there are lots of LGBTQ people of faith. There are lots of folks who are LGBTQ that were raised in different faith traditions whose families are still very steeped in those traditions. You know, we're a part of these communities, just like we're a part of every other community. And so to see the LDS church want to lead faith communities in that way and want to walk with us. Like we use that language a lot. Let's walk this journey together. Let's do this hand in hand, shoulder to shoulder. For Angela and I, we were lockstep the whole time. And then to have the LDS church be like, hey, we want to be with you too. We want to stand shoulder to shoulder with you all proudly. And we want to say this unequivocally so beautiful and just such a wonderful moment that shows that everyone can be equally invested in human rights, civil rights, and human dignity. We can do that work together. And there are really no barriers to that. If we just trust each other and build those relationships around those values. We are moving to the fill in the blank section of this podcast. Are you ready? (laughs) I'm ready. Fill in the blank to this phrase. June 2021 was a great pride month because of blank. June 2022 will be a great pride month because of blank. Let's start with Angela. June 2021 was a great pride month because of the wonderful decision for the Supreme Court not to hear the Gavin Grimm case. 
because you have all of these municipal ordinances that are taking place that have been voted on leading up into June. And June 2022 will be a great month because there's a tidal wave of equality in the great state of Arizona, and we're not done. I feel in so many ways like our next chapter has just begun. And I think that the possibilities working collaboratively with equality and with business and faith leaders and LGBTQ inclusive organizations around this great state, I believe that the possibilities for June 2022 are limitless, not just for our state, but I believe for our nation. Michael, you are permitted to say ditto, but it has to be ditto plus. Okay. Okay. I'm definitely going to say ditto because I, I don't think I can say it better, but I will, I will try to add a few things. June 2021 was an amazing pride month because coming out of COVID and this crazy time of this pandemic and all of us being alone and feeling alone, we were able to celebrate together face to face. We were able to see people again and celebrate our community actually winning and not just protecting our community from these really harmful attacks at the legislature, but winning more protections for hundreds of thousands of more Arizonans, which is a wonderful thing. That's just an incredible happening in our state during this Pride Month and being able to celebrate it was really meaningful, especially after the last year and a half. And June, 2022, like Angela said, it's going to be an incredible Pride Month because we're not done. We're just getting started. There's going to be so much more to celebrate next year because of these collaborations, these relationships, and empowering this greater LGBTQ community where we've got LGBTQ high schoolers and middle schoolers, their parents, all the way to these amazing business leaders and faith leaders leading the charge. And you can't get better than that. That's such a beautiful community. We're going to do so much together that's going to make this state a place where we all want to live for the rest of our lives, where we want to see our families thrive and grow and where we want to invest for the long term. Great answers, but I'm going to ask you each to come up with at least one thing you want to see between now and June of 2022 become a reality in Arizona. I want to see a statewide update. I really do. 50% of the state has LGBTQ inclusive protections in the municipalities now, but that means in 50% of the state we don't. And so I think we are determined to work together, to work in a bipartisan fashion, to have as many cups of coffee or iced teas or glasses of water. We will meet with anyone between now and then. We need to get this done. We need to get it over the line. Again, I got to say ditto because that's our number one priority. We have to make sure that every single Arizonan has the same opportunities in life, in employment, housing, public accommodation, able to live their lives fully and authentically. And so that's our shared number one priority. And like Angela said, we'll meet with anybody to get it done. That's got to happen. Arizona deserves that. And that's the way to a prosperous future for this state. We have to be competitive with every other state that has that opportunity. That makes a massive difference in whether people can live here for the long term and make a life here. And so we got to get it done. Thank you, Michael. And thank you, Angela. Together, you've built the quintessential multi-year, quote unquote, overnight success story. Thank you for sharing the key ingredients for how you did it. Meeting people where they are, with open minds, with active listening, with respect, and with dignity. Instead of hustling for bigger and louder megaphones, you purposefully and tirelessly worked to build all-inclusive mega-tents. It's the kind of work that makes transformational change possible. 
It's the kind of work that lasts and outlasts other fear-based, power-hoarding, shorter-sighted approaches. It's the kind of work that honors our humanity and most definitely improves community health and well-being. Odds are pretty high that you'll hear this episode after Pride Month ends, but so what? We've got more progress to make and June 2022 to work toward. Dear listeners, it's time to build out that mega tent even more. Take the Unity Pledge. Be a business that's committed to being open to everyone. Vote with your wallet and your ballot. Then we'll meet each other back here a year from now to see how much change we've created together. Of course, creating change is what this podcast is all about. Like we have with this episode and the nearly 80 episodes before it, the Vitalist Spark podcast is focused on insights, strategies, and efforts that we all need to improve community health and well-being. We've been working to share the stories and insights regarding multiple aspects of this complex equation of health, which means you can check out our back catalog of episodes focused on the pandemic, redistricting, the opioid crisis, affordable housing, food systems, Arizona tribes, schools, streets and open spaces, and much, much more. There is a lot to listen to, featuring guests from across the state and national experts, too. Visit us on the web at vitalisthealth.org podcast. Check out all of our current and past episodes on Spotify, or simply reach into that podcast app you're using right now and select another show to find out what's going on related to health and well-being in Arizona. That's it for now. The insights, reflections, and takeaways from this dialogue belong at the family dinner table as much as they do in business settings, in city and town halls, and in the domains of healthcare and public health. So please share this independent episode far and wide. Subscribe to the Vitalist Spark podcast to get notified as soon as new episodes are released. Or listen to the Vitalist Spark just like you listen to your favorite music on Spotify. Give us your feedback wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can also give us your input the old-fashioned way. Your corrections, complaints, and compliments are all welcomed by emailing us at feedback at vitalisthealth.org. Finally, remember this. With great responsibility comes great power. We'll see you back on the road to well-being soon.